Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is October the 19th, 2016. It is a Wednesday. This is episode 1886. And since it's a Wednesday, it's interview day. And our special guest today is Mr. Samuel Culper uh, of Forward Observer. And he's going to be talking to us about shit hit the fan intelligence gathering, why you should be personally in the intelligence gathering business in your local area and around the nation today. Today, it is not just the work of spies, it is the work of those who want to survive and thrive if indeed the shit hits the fan. Uh, we'll be talking about all of that and more with him in just a bit. Before we do, let's go ahead and take care of our two sponsors of the day. One of my favorite people I get to work with at TSP is Chef Keith Snow of HarvestEating.com. Chef Keith can teach you to cook fantastic meals, develop a great food storage program, and more. He is also the source of my favorite line of spices and seasoning mixes that I use in all my weekly cooking. Check out his products, great blog, and podcast at HarvestEating.com. Guys, right now, do you know I have personally about 100 trees, vines, and bushes from Bob Wells Nursery on my property? Over time, they will produce season after season of edible products. They look great, too. Bob Wells is always my first choice when buying new trees, vines, and shrubs for my permaculture work. Check them out at bobwellsnursery.com today. With that knocked out, let's go ahead and take a look at the year that was the episode before we introduce our special guest again, Mr. Samuel Culper. Um, we have on the TSP Wiki today from Alex Shrugged, we have two... Main topics for the year 1886, we have the automatic copyright and a totally useless metal is discovered, germanium. Before I get, read the, the one of those, I'm going to give you the bullet points for the year as well. In other news, the Benz motor car is patented. It is a three-wheel horseless carriage with a rear-mounted engine using a trembler coil and a dripping evaporator for a carburetor. I'm surprised it doesn't burst into flames. Dalmier produced a two-wheel version last year that looks a lot like motorcycle. And Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by R.L. Stevenson is published in this year. The civilized Dr. Jekyll with evil animal self Mr. Hyde living within. That is kind of a metaphor for all of us, I believe. And Dr. Holmes buys a pharmacy from Mr. Holton. He will become a famous serial killer stalking Chicago's World Fair in 1893. With a body count reaching upwards of 200, he starts with Mrs. Holton, who takes an extended vacation and is never seen again. So the one I'm going to read for you today is the totally useless metal discovered germanium, because I think it makes a good point about our future. The periodic table of elements is a controversial arrangement of known elements that predicts the properties of undiscovered elements and suggests that certain groups of elements have similar properties. A few years ago, the Russian scientist Dmitry Mendeleev predicted an element similar to silicon with very specific, specific properties that he called Urca silicon. No one paid attention. This year, miners find a vein of silver with unknown impurities. After the German chemist Clemens Winkler separates out the impurities, he finds Urca silicon and names it Neptunium. After the planet Neptune, but the name has been reserved, so he settles for germanium. After Germany, he finds that germanium is a poorly conducting metal of very little commercial value, so it will sit on the shelf for about 60 years until World War II, when someone will need a semiconductor 
for a pulse radar detector. Production of germanium will jump a few kilograms a year to 40 metric tons and will build from there. These poorly conducting metals are called semiconductors and will be used to make diodes, transistors, and CPUs for your computer. They will also make possible the miniaturization of electronics that turn a computer that is as big as a house into a smartphone that fits in your pocket. My take by Alex Shrugged, who puts these together for us at TSP Wiki. Caution, there is some selective editing of history going on here that's almost unavoidable. Some very important elements are occurring in quick succession. When you look back at these key events, the whole narrative looks like, quote, the march of progress, end quote. The picture of a monkey turning into an ape, then primitive man, then modern man. It gives the impression that progress is inevitable. But that's total BS. That means bad science. Look around you right now. What is inevitable? What is the inevitable plan for the next hundred years? How about the next 30 years? We can see general trends, but what are the specifics? 30 years ago, could anyone have predicted the iPhone? I remember entering a binary instruction using flip switches to start my computer. That was an IMSAI 8080 running at 2 megahertz with a 64K of memory. You saw Matthew Broderick using an IMSAI 8080 in the movie War Games. What was the plan that led us inevitably to a computer in our pocket running a quad-core CPU at 2.23 gigahertz? We ignored the missing op missed opportunities, the blind alleys, the better technologies that never caught on, and the lame technologies that were made good enough. I'm looking at you, Ethernet. The people of the 1880s thought they had the puzzle all figured out. They just had to fill in a few of the missing pieces. They had no idea what was coming, none whatsoever. Indeed, that's, that's how I feel. I, I think that we'll see technologies invented in the next 10 years that may follow the trend that we're seeing of automation and uh, new means of producing and using and harnessing and uh, making efficiency out of energy. Um, but we don't know what those things will be. It's not inevitable. I, I think actually in, in some ways it is inevitable, right? Uh, from a, from a, What's the word I'm looking for from a fatalist viewpoint? It's inevitable that something is going to happen, but it's not inevitable as to what that something will be. There, there, there's a person out there today that might have a brilliant idea that will do something really stupid and end up in prison instead of execute that idea. Or there's someone out there today that seems like there's no way they can possibly be a contributor that will happen upon something by accident that will say, hey, wait, maybe something can happen with this. We don't know what the future holds, and that's a good reason to stay prepared. That's a good forward-looking view as we get ready to introduce our special guest today. Again, Mr. Samuel Culper, who is... Uh, The editor over at Forward Observer, which is at, uh, which is, is a great website, uh, that takes a look at how you yourself can actually get ready for bad times or even do better in good times through developing intelligence networks within your own communities. Uh, Sam is a pretty popular guy among members of our audience. I've had a lot of requests to get him on the air and, I keep telling people that say, well, why don't you have so-and-so on the air? The same thing I tell everybody else. You want somebody on the air, tell them to come to the website. Fill out a form. When Sam did that, I was happy to have him on. Just to make that clear, let's say that your God of choice, Jesus, Buddha, whatever, it came back and said, I want to be on a survival podcast. I tell them to fill out a form, and Dorothy will set it up. That's how you get on the air. So if you know somebody, or if you yourself would like to be on the podcast, there's only one way. 
It's through the form. So, guys, um, before I bring the interview with Sam on, I, I've got to tell you something. Um, I, I don't know what's going on with technical gremlins today. What you're about to hear is actually the second time we conducted this interview. Um, we were talking about cybersecurity a lot in this interview, so I don't know, maybe I've been hacked by uh, hostile actors that don't want the message of preparedness getting out or, or what have you. But I recorded this interview in full, and uh, coming back off vacation, I flaked and I didn't set up my redundant recording, and uh, it just dumped at the end of the, the, the interview. This is something that's happened three times in eight years, maybe four times in eight years. And uh, so that, that happened, and, and Sam was good enough to get on and do the interview again. I set up my redundant recording, and uh, I got like 30 minutes of the interview. The whole interview was like 50 minutes long. So like the first 20 minutes of the interview are completely garbled and useless. So the question that I, I, I've thrown at Sam, and it's going to kind of come into the middle of his answer, but right at the beginning, was how to allocate your time when it comes to intelligence work within your community. And the 30 minutes of the interview we have is great. It's fantastic. But we, we lost like the first 20. And uh, unfortunately, there's nothing I can do about that. I, I certainly can't ask Sam to... Uh, to, uh, to redo this interview a third freaking time. So I'm going to run it today with the 30 minutes that we have, which I think you'll agree is pure gold, and we'll, we'll have some, Sam back sometime on the future. And with that, I want to say, hey, Sam, uh, welcome to the Survival Podcast with a little disruption. How should people uh, allocate their time when it comes to performing intelligence work uh, to deal with potential shit-hit-the-fan scenarios in their community? Area. And really comes down to ruthless efficiency. We have to be very, very efficient. Um, and so what I recommend is is a split of 60, 30, 10. You know, first of all, not everyone needs to be an intelligence analyst, just like not everyone needs to be, you know, a flight surgeon. Not everyone needs to be a machine gunner, you know. And But I, what I would, would recommend is for your group or for your community, you know, identify two or three people who are going to say, okay, you know, I'm going to, we're going to take on this task. We're going to start learning some of these skills and concepts, and then we're going to put them into place in our community. So 60-30-10 is the split. I would say rec I would recommend spend 60% of our time focusing on the local area because this is a game of proximity. You know, if we get into a war with Russia, it's going to be somewhere over in Europe, and, you know, it's not going to directly affect us in Sheboyganville, Idaho. Um so 60% on the local level, that's an area that we can actually affect. That's an area that uh, that we can solve these local problems. 30% on on maybe the county or your state, you know, well, we should still keep up to date on, on what's going on at that level because that's going to indirectly affect us. Then finally, 10% on the national or strategic level. You know, following this stuff with Russia and China is a massive rabbit hole, and I promise you that you do not have enough time in the day to keep up to date on every little thing that's going on with Russia and China. And um, so we really shouldn't waste a lot of time on it. And that's one thing at Ford Observer, that's one thing we try to do. We monitor that 10% of, of national and strategic events, and we you know write an intelligence report that comes out every Friday so that you can take the 10% and invest it back into the local area. And, you know, so you're not wasting time and reading the fear mongers and, you know, the doomsday, hey, the world's ending tomorrow and we're going to get into a nuclear shootout and the universe is going to collapse kind of stuff. <laughs> and uh, but sometimes I actually do wish the universe would collapse. The Hadron Collider and created the singularity by your uh, protein powder now, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And um, <laughs> and get your gold yeah. from from uh, Roslyn Capital while you're there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that, it, it's a great point though because like you allocate the time mostly to local, and I, from what I've read of your stuff and, and and listened to of your stuff, you really focus on the local. And to me, that's important because even if the problems coming from China, or the problems coming from Russia, or the problems coming from fill in the blank with some distant place, some global thing. You can't you can't do anything about that. the The area that you actually have influence on is you know the, the stuff you can you could walk to in a day and back. That's that's the area you can actually change things. And it seems that you're very focused on you know digging into that area first because that's where you can actually have an effect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, you know, if the power goes out, if the if there's a nuclear war, you know, whatever, I'm gonna when when there's panic in my community, I'm gonna care much less about what caused it, and I'm gonna care a lot more about what I can do about it or what how it's going to affect me. And the, you know, really, you know, if you can't describe exactly how a fuel shortage or how a uh, some kind of systems disruption or grid down event is going to affect you, then it really doesn't matter what caused it in the first place. No, that that makes that makes perfect sense. Um, it, it's what I've always said. Like when it comes to dealing with our systems of support, it doesn't matter why they're not there. It matters that they're not there. Mm-hmm. Right. So you, that's what you need to plan for is to deal without those systems of support, whether it be security, whether it be uh, structure, whether it be food, whether it be water, whether it be fuel, whether it be energy. It's, it's planning to deal without them. It seems like you're taking a very similar course with the concept of how does intelligence, you know, kind of retrofit back into that, that whole matrix. Yes, sir. Yep. So when people look at gear, what gear do they need to run an intelligence element during a shit at the fan event? I mean, um, you know, we talked earlier, we're not talking about, uh, you know, shoe phones and the cone of silence or whatever, but there is stuff out there that's available to the average person, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and the good thing is, you know, we don't need to get a $10,000 signals intelligence suite. Um, you know, there are a few things that I recommend. Number one would be a police scanner. If, you know, in a, an emergency scenario or some kind of event has happened, you know, our ability to listen into what the first responders are listening to is, is really going to go a long way in our ability to maintain situational awareness for our own area. So if you don't have a police scanner, I would, I would highly recommend getting one. Um, there are a few that I really recommend. However, if you just go to Radio Shack or Amazon and get the uh, police scanner that you can afford, be sure to go to radioreference.com, and you can type in your zip code or your county, and you can get all your local frequencies to plug into that scanner. Otherwise, it's not going to work unless you you know tell it what, what frequencies to scan, or it's just going to take forever because they're going to scan everything. So radioreference.com is going to have all your local emergency services frequencies. Uh, you know, we can also look at getting a, an SDR. It's called Software Defined Radio. And I use that to find uh, transmissions. So, it, you know, it's, a, I pl- it's an antenna with a little dongle. I plug it into my computer. I run some free software. I use GQRX. That's the one I like. Um, but there are many out there. there. There are many like it, but this one is mine. Um, <laughs> And so, yeah, what it does is it visualizes the radio frequency spectrum. So I can scroll through there and look through all these frequencies, and I'm looking for the spikes. The spike indicates a signal, and then I can zoom to that spike and see if anyone's talking on it. And then once I found that spike, that frequency, I can write it down in a logbook, 
And so one thing I've done, like when I'm bored at work or there's a, a little bit of a lull, you know, I've gone through and found all my local uh, ham radio operators' favorite frequencies, and I have a list of them. So when there is an SHTF event, I don't have to spend forever trying to find a frequency. I can go, oh, I know this ham radio operator. You know, these guys talk on this frequency, zoom to that frequency, and now I've got them in a very short period of time. You know, that's a, that's a cool thing. Uh, we have a, a major training event going on at our place here uh, next week. And one of the uh, classes we're doing is on um, ham radio. And we're including with it these little uh, Baofeng radios that you can get from anywhere from $25 to $45, depending on which one you want. And they're programmable. You can program them to just about any frequency you want, including the ham frequencies. And the two hams conducting it were like, well, yeah, people can bring them in and we'll program the GMRS and the mirrors and all that stuff, but we can't program the ham frequencies for a non-ham because then, you know, it's like, yes, you can. Because a ham license only gives you the, you know, the power and authority and blessing of the state to talk. Mm-hmm. It, anybody can listen. So, you know, these folks, if you pr- program the, the common frequencies on the, was it, two-meter uh, stuff, then they can at least find out who's talking in their area and have access to that information. They don't necessarily have to talk. And then, you know as well as I do, in a time of emergency where you need assistance, you throw the license out the window, you get on the radio and say, hey, I need mm-hmm. help, and then you get in touch with somebody that's a skilled operator that gains you access. So I think that like that whole listening thing is a huge thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, and as an Intel guy, you know, unless it's an emergency, I'm I'm not ever going to key up. I'm not ever going to key a mic. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So the more, yeah, the more we can we can listen into, uh, certainly the better. And it may be in an SHTF scenario where you know, hey, there's this you know older gentleman. He's not going to go out on a patrol. He's not going to stand guard or anything like that. I'm going to give him an earphone, a set of earphones, and a radio, and say, hey, you know, write down whatever you hear. If you hear anything like this, then you let us know immediately. You know, and that's a really good area where you know the elderly. Or um, you know, folks who aren't uh, in as great a shape can really pitch in. Is is in the communications intelligence collection section. Good point. I think kids as well, which I didn't think of until you just said that. Because not only does it give them something they can do that's important, it gives them something that they can do that they feel like they're doing something. So they shut up and let you do what you have to do. Right? <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Yeah. I mean seriously, yeah. like kids are in a disaster. Kids are a bigger disaster sometimes. And 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 having something for them to be engaged in and feel like they're contributing and to occupy their mind, and I, you know, that that is a, a good thing. Now, I, there could be some scary things or whatever, but in general, um, you'd have kids that are old enough to deal with that, doing that. But so anybody that's not able to be sent out to find out something on foot could do that job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and that's a really great place where they can fit in. And you know, and uh, I just kind of a little tangent here. You know, for the intelligence section, I'm not looking for, like, the, the 20 or the 25-year-old kid. I'm looking for someone who has life experience, yeah. someone who has sound judgment, you know, a good head on their shoulders. And, you know, there may be some 20-year-olds out there who have that. But more than likely, they're going to be, you know, older folks. And those I are the didn't. kind of people. I did, yeah. and you didn't either. That's why you joined. Oh, that's I know. That's, that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the folks with more life experience are the people that I want in my, my intel section. You want the person who, when they see something going on that's really bad, doesn't give away their position and knowledge of it, that they accept, okay, that's happening, I can't stop it right now, and comes back and tells you what's going on, not the person that intervenes and ends up dead or giving away where you're at or, or what have you. And that's just one scenario like that. 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's a, a very good example of, uh, yeah, really building in security and making good decisions about our security. So um, you monitor this geopolitical stuff and national stuff uh, for a living. What are some of the most likely potential uh, SHFT scenario, SHTF scenarios you see uh, as possibly impacting us over the next you know year, two years, ten years, whatever it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that number one has been uh, cyber disruption, whether it's a cyber attack or some kind of cyber exploitation, for a couple of years now. Um, you know, and it, it's not just because of all the hacking. You know, that's something where a foreign intelligence service is planning a, you know, exploiting a bug and, you know, planning basically like a little listener on a server and just start, you know, sucking all this stuff up and sending it back. And when I'm talking about cyber disruptions, what I'm talking about is disrupting, uh, you know, critical infrastructure. So like in 2013, an Iranian-linked hacker group actually tried to disrupt a, disrupt a dam in New York State. And so, and we know that the Chinese and we know that the Russians have been um, you know, monitoring and mapping out, excuse me, mapping out our critical infrastructure. I have a high, very high degree of confidence in saying that if it got that bad and they they chose to go the nuclear route, that they could, you know, uh, disable our power grid for a period of time, cause us really a lot of problems. Uh, I'm fairly certain that they can do that. Um, and so, so cyber disruption, and, and it does. It doesn't even have to be a, a, a nation state. You know, it can be a nationalist group or a criminal group uh, who, for whatever reason, decides to to target America. One big thing that's going on right now is this um, ransomware. So, you know, you get a, an email and it says, "Oh, hi, you know, download this attachment and you know, take a look at this report and get back to me." So. Oh, it's a, a report. Okay, well, let me see. You know, see what it says. You download it, and then, and now all of a sudden, you know, your your computer has been encrypted by a criminal organization, and being it's held for ransom. And we've seen the proliferation of ransomware the past couple of years because it's very effective, and people get money. You know, because like it, the hospital in Los Angeles was shut down for two or three weeks, and um, and what are they going to do? Wait for the FBI to unlock their computers in the next couple months? Or they're just going to pay the seventeen thousand dollars and turn their, you know, decrypt their computers and get access to all these files, and that's exactly what they did. They paid the seventeen thousand dollars in Bitcoin, and now they're back up and running. And that's really how how these ransomware attacks are successful. Hmm. And then you're and, trusting the criminal to honor his agreement to turn your shit back on. Oh yeah, yeah, and, it's nasty. And then the stuff. criminal, like they say, honor amongst thieves. Like if the criminal doesn't do it, then the scam doesn't work anymore, right? So it's this weird, weird like world we're getting into that's like kind of reminiscent of uh, the robber barons of the past. Mm-hmm. It's uh, yeah, that's that's a new one. I mean, now I this it seems like a logical extension because about early early two thousands when everybody decided to buy a computer off Home Shopping Network, whatever, and get online with you've got mail and all that. There there was a, a huge proliferation of. You know, antivirus companies out of like Ukraine and Romania and Russia. That what they did is they actually implanted a virus, and then you would magically find the solution. You know, pop up on your screen to get rid of the virus for you know thirty bucks or whatever. Mm-hmm. So now instead of thirty bucks to the guy that just wants you know porn to stop popping up on his computer because that was one of their big things because 
gee, I got to get this to go away before my wife comes home, right? So, and <laughs> yeah. he didn't even do anything, but all of a sudden it's just window after window after window of it. Plus, he needs his, his files and what have you. So now instead of getting 30 bucks out of the individual, they're extorting 17 grand out of a hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I would I would definitely put that's that's you know the malware into the the category of cyber systems disruption. And, you know, we have so many Internet-facing systems and we have these SCADA systems and the industrial control systems that we know for, a, you know, like Stuxnet. You know, there, there have been at least two times. I, I want to say there's only been two or three times where a cyber attack has actually caused physical disruption. The first was Stuxnet, which was the uh, U.S.-Israeli uh, project to disrupt Iranian uh, centrifuges, which it did. It slowed down the speed and, and caused an explosion and um, caused physical damage. And then another time, uh, just a couple of years ago in Germany, it caused uh, like a steel plant or something, some kind of manufacturing plant to overheat, and there was a, a big explosion. And so it's not like this stuff is like an everyday occurrence, but the U.S. military has been so strong conventionally for so long that we've really forced our uh, we forced other nations, if they want to compete with us, then they have to develop asymmetric capabilities, and cyber is one of those. Yeah, I mean, how do you defeat the guy that's, you know, twice as strong as you? You throw sand in his eyes. You find exactly. his weak link, and you hit it. And I think everybody's weak there, and it's it's kind of what's kept it from going catastrophic so far. If you think back to the 60s with, uh, you know, everybody building up for a nuclear war, all the nations that really had real nuclear capability looked at it just going, man, we really don't want to do this because it's mutually assured destruction. And I think there's some of that in the cyber world today because we may not be able to prevent the Russians or the Chinese from doing everything they're doing, but we can do it to them too, and they know it. But unlike, you know, like if the president wants to launch a nuclear, if somebody in the U.S. military wants to launch a nuclear strike, they need the president's approval, they've got to have nuclear keys, so the state really has to decide we're going to do this. It'd be very hard for a rogue element to launch, you know, a, a full-scale nuclear attack. But a rogue, you know, state-sponsored group or state-acknowledged but just kind of disavowed group could do this whether or not the actual state really approved of it. It would be much easier for some small group or some segment of a government to go rogue with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've seen that, you know, throughout the South China Sea dispute, you know, China, uh, Chinese nationalist groups have hacked uh, the Philippines and Vietnam and Thailand, and you know that, that's a fairly common occurrence. Um, so, you know, when we talk, I, I would say, you know, with with nuclear weapons, we had mutually assured destruction, and I think, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. We are shaping up a, a similar trade-off with a large-scale cyber attack, uh, which makes it less likely. However, I would add one caveat to that. In 2015, Russia updated their military doctrine, and they they started talking about nuclear first use. And they said, if Russian national sovereignty is violated, then we are we're getting into nuclear warfare. And so I think by extension, we're also talking about a massive cyber attack. So if if the U.S. military, for whatever reason, if Hillary's neoconservative foreign policy said. Okay, we're going to attempt regime change in Russia, which is what Putin is is concerned about. Then we are absolutely getting into large scale cyber attack territory, and you know if that happens, then I think all bets are off. I mean, that's kind of the nuclear cyber option. Well, and I mean, it could be it doesn't even have to be that direct. It could be uh, Assad, right? Because Putin's mm-hmm. basically said Assad's my guy. 
right? Like, I, I don't necessarily like the guy, but I think it's better that he's there than he's not there. And I think if you're a rational person and you look at every place we've deposed a leader in the Middle East, he might be right. But if we decide, okay, we're going to go on a full frontal assault against the Assad regime, that could be taken by Russia the same way. You've now attacked us. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and they came out and said as much a couple of weeks ago, the Russian Ministry of Defense said, look, if we suspect an aircraft of, of firing on a Syrian military position, we don't care what nationality you are, we don't care what you're doing, we're going to shoot, you know, we're going to attempt to shoot you out of the sky. And uh, the Ministry of Defense also said, we're going to treat every attack on Syrian forces just like an attack on Russian forces. And people would go, oh, but don't you think we did the same with the British? Or the French, like if you attack the French, you've attacked us. Isn't that what an alliance is? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, you know, I, Russia views Syria as a strategic part of, you know, one thing. So back during the Cold War, I don't know how much you know time we have, but uh, back during the Cold War, you know, at the end of the Cold War, the Soviet Union collapsed. The Warsaw Pact nations went away. Um, NATO did not. And not only did NATO not go away, NATO continued to expand eastward towards Russia. And Putin feels boxed in now. There's, there's, you know, U.S. military might in the Pacific. NATO is encroaching eastward into former Soviet satellite states. That's one big reason why, reason why Russia is now going into the Arctic, because they want to uh, produ produce a, a buffer zone for, um, you know, to prevent Western influence or Western action. And so uh, Putin looks at Syria the exact same way. If we topple Assad, then it really could lead to World War III because Putin is like this dog that's being backed into a corner. If Syria goes, then Ukraine's going to go and Russia's going to be next. That's the way he views it. Well, I think he views it like, so we're the threat. He also views it as like these crazy-ass sons of bitches in the Middle East are the threat. And what, I mean, you can not like the people, I don't, but what's been, what we've seen is when you have a leader in one of these nations that's like, we're not going to have that and we'll kill you if you do it, the nation's relatively stable. When you take that leader out, no matter how bad that person is as a human being, everything goes berserk. So if, if you destabilize Syria, what's left in the Middle East that's stabilized? Turkey? Right? So if that blows up, you're at the back door of Russia, right? With this whole radical Islamic extremism. And I'm sure Putin wants nothing to do with that. So it's a double threat as far as he's concerned. And I think he's got a valid point. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So um, what do you think um, – well, I think we just talked about this, the most valid scenario – I've my notes here, the most valid, most likely scenarios. So people that are looking to get training on this, um, where can they go to learn more about the type of training that you provide? Yeah, they can go to my website. It's readfomag.com. That's R-E-A-D-F-O-M-A-G.com. I'm teaching a class in Idaho Falls this weekend. It's my last scheduled class uh, until the election boils over. I, I am somewhat concerned about the fallout of a contested election or uh, whoever loses. Is, I don't think they're just going to accept a loss simply. You know, we could be looking at a hanging Chad type scenario where it's uh, – you know, there's a potential for civil unrest is kind of where I'm getting at. So once that settles down, if it ever does, then I'll start teaching classes again uh, in Texas, uh, in the southeast. You know, it, depending on the security situation and how volatile I think things are in the world um, really is, determines how far I'm going to go from home. Um, 
but yeah, so I have all my events up on the website, and uh, yeah, you can and check there. And you know, if you have a group of people who are interested, uh, certainly you can send me an email, and we can talk about putting on a class there, um, open enrollment or private. You know, it depends on how many how many people we, we get signed up. There, it's two days long. The class, the most popular class is a two day SHTF intelligence class. We talk about intelligence gathering, uh, intelligence analysis, and then we talk about uh, how to set up a local intelligence element. Kind of you know our man the battle stations process of there's an SHTF event. Okay, what do we do now? Well, here's all the things that we need to get into place so that we can ensure safety and community security. Gotcha. And, and you mentioned you have kind of this service that, that people can, like, see webinars on, and plus you guys send out, like, a weekly briefing and stuff like that? We do. Yeah, we've, we have about 20 hours worth of, of webinars on intelligence and security and community security concepts. And really it's, you know, it's taking these uh, military processes and applying them to a community security framework. Um, yeah, and so – you know, it is my full-time job, and so uh, we we do charge a, a subscription fee. Uh, but we have lots of webinars. We're you know we're doing these monthly webinars as well, so you can sit in and ask questions to me if you want. Um, and then all, you know, every Friday I also produce uh, an executive intelligence summary, and it's a roll-up of all the indicators from the past week that could lead us to an SHTF scenario. And so what I try to do is is to gauge how close we are. So let's say that there are 15 indicators. There are 15 things that uh, would be required to happen or that could happen before we get into a, a shooting war with Russia. And if there's only two or three indicators out of 15, then we're probably at a pretty low level likelihood. You know, of course, the black swan is always out there. You know, tactical decisions have strategic consequences, and there's no way for me to say, well, next week, you know, Russia's going to shoot at a U.S. plane, and that's going to be it for World War III. Uh, but once we start seeing, you know, five or ten or, or twelve or more indicators, you know, that's when I would I would shoot at, uh, an email out to everybody and say, you know, hey, we could be very close to a, a war with Russia, and it's a structured process. You know, it's not just like a, a fly-by-night, you know, kind of uh, intuitive thing where we're just trying to guess at you what's going to happen. You have a guy with a Ouija board asking the spirits when World <laughs> War Three is going to happen. You're, you're using actual active intelligence across the globe. Exactly. Yes, sir. And just to be clear, so like that subscription service includes both the webinars, which are like monthly, and there's an archive, I guess, as well of the past ones. And then sure. it also includes the weekly briefing, and then any like time you feel like something's really imperative, you send out an additional email. That's correct. Yep. And the cost of that is? Uh, it's it's uh, nine ninety nine a month, so ten bucks a month, or a hundred bucks a year. So a price discount for an annual subscription. And and there's also a coupon code for. Is that right for member support brigade? Yeah, so we had a kind of an offline conversation. So we got a discount set up for my my members of the support brigade that'll give them what ten percent off? Yes, sir. Yep, ten percent off. So that's already in your MSB uh, benefits section, guys. You can just uh, log in and get that. And there'll be an announcement coming out tomorrow uh, on the blog about this particular offer and uh, at least one additional uh, MSB uh, supporting vendor. But I, I really appreciate you doing that for our audience, man. Oh, I'm really glad to. You know, I love this stuff. It's the best job I've ever had. And, you know, the more people I look at this way, you know, the more people who are trained up on this stuff, really the better as uh, a nation is, you know, whether you uh, 
whether you're a Republican or conservative constitutionalist or, you know, anarcho-capitalist or whatever you are, you know, we're kind of all generally pushing in the same direction, which is less tyranny. And so the, the more prepared we can be, I think the, the better off we'll be for, for fighting back against tyranny in the future. I think it's following the Swiss example of civil defense, right? I mean, like, mm-hmm. there's a point at which the apparatuses you rely on to support you, even if they do mean well, can't. And the citizen becomes the defensive mechanism of, of the nation and of, you know, not even the nation, the neighborhood. And uh, because some of our biggest threats, I think you'd agree with this, Samuel, are not Russia or even our government. They're the people that live close to us that would use the opportunity to protest by stealing our televisions and smashing our windows and killing our, our wives and children. And I mean, that we've seen maybe not quite go to that extreme yet, but the first two, yeah, we've seen that happen over and over in this country. So at that point, can you rely on you know the best police force in the country to help you? Well, maybe not, because in the end, they're all humans, and we all have to stand up for ourselves and our neighbors and understanding what what is critical before it happens and what is critical while it's happening is key to being effective. And that's I think one thing we have an advantage of if we take the approach you're advocating is the criminal element doesn't do this. The criminal element's entire intelligence gathering is, hmm, that place looks like it's a good place to rob at after 10, right? It, mm-hmm. They don't do the sophisticated analysis that you're talking about. So if we as citizens do, we have kind of a, a one-up on that that element at least of you know potential danger if things go wrong. Yeah. Yeah, the informational advantage, if we all have the same arms, the same number of people, really it comes down to, you know, where where can we exploit vulnerabilities? So how can we throw sand in the eyes of the big bully and then uh, dispatch him while he's otherwise preoccupied? Cool, man. So one more time, uh, give us your website so people can get by there and check it out. Yeah, thank you. That's readfomag.com, R-E-A-D-F-O-M-A-G.com. And, uh, you know, there's years' worth of free articles on there. There's tons of free stuff. Please, you know, go learn and, and absorb as much as you can. And if you want to take that next step and really start getting into the weeds of, okay, how do we actually run an intelligence element, uh, yeah, I really appreciate your support. All right, guys. Well, uh, that's been a great interview with Sam. Sam, thank you for being with us today on the Survival Podcast. Yeah, Jack, thank you. I'm, I'm very glad to have been here. Thank you. Well, after that interview, I can see why so many of you wanted to hear Samuel on the Survival Podcast. What a great interview. I'm sure we'll have him back in the future. Before we uh, leave you for the day, though, let me remind you, you can support this show and the work that we do by becoming a member of the Survival Podcast Members Support Brigade. What I wanted to do real quick today, because I don't do this very often, is just give you an idea. When I say like 60 vendors, who actually provides discounts to members of the Survival Podcast? So it's going to be a long list. But I'm going to go through it quickly. Safe Castle Royal, Western Botanicals, Alerts USA, Old Grouch Military Surplus, USH2, that's Stephen Harris's site, uh, KnifeKits.com, Survival.com, The Berkey Guy, Backwoods Home Magazine, Black Belt Magazine, High Mowing Organic Seeds, The Victory Seed Company, SelfSufficientLife.com, MT Knives, Camping Survival, Bulk Ammo, Alerts USA. I said that twice. i got to get that out of the list. BeFoundAlive.com, ValerieAzanoff.com, Paladin Press, Nodak Arms, JM Bullion, the Permaculture Workshop, Doctor's Nutrition, Two Timbers Display Cases, Luke Callahan's Guide to Microgreens, Lenwood Leather, Andrew McKnight, Pretty Loaded, Iron Edison Batteries, Bob Wills Nursery, 
Tactical Wood Gas, EcoSense, Conflicted the Game, Infidel, Body Armor, Primal Power Method, Simply Cleansing, Progress Earth, TN, Tactical Supply, Dark Angel, Medical, Mai Tai, Coffee, Darcy, Darby Simpson Consulting, TSP Gear Shop, Black Dragon, Tactical, Doom and Bloom.net, Harvest Eating, Old Grouch Military Surplus, 180 Tech, Terroir Seeds, The Olive Basket LLC, March Creek Farmstead, The Tool Merchants, and Fishing Yoyito. When I say you get freaking discounts, if you become a member, you get freaking discounts on stuff you're probably going to want to buy anyway by becoming a member and your membership pays for itself. Oh, I'm out of breath. Anyway, do consider becoming a member of the Support Brigade today. To do so, just go to the Survival Podcast and click on Members to learn more. And I have great feedback so far. It looks like I'm going to pull off that awesome new discount vendor for you. I got a call back. I called back. He's not in his office. But when they call you, they're ready to work with you. So this one's going to be something everybody's going to be like, Whoa, didn't see that coming out of left field. And if I can work out a decent discount on this one, you know, like one purchase might pay for your membership for a couple of years, and maybe you can make some more um, fuel. And there's a little secret as to who it might be. Anyway, before we uh, depart, also I want to remind you guys you can support the show not just by being a member, but by just doing your shopping on Amazon.com through tspaz.com. Just go to tspaz.com, tspaz.com. Whenever you're going to shop on Amazon, buy your stuff like you always would. And remember, every day at tspaz, I also have a new item of the day for you, and today's is one I've talked about before. It is the Camp Chef Ranger 2 Tabletop Stove. I see this as having four real benefits for people. Here they are. Number one, you're on electric uh, stove cooking, you know, that's what you have as an electric stove, and power goes out and you want to cook. Well, it's pretty obvious that a tabletop propane stove would do that for you, All right, so that's number one. Number two is you're a car camper. You're a guy that goes camping or a truck camper where, you know, you got your tent and all, but you've got your vehicle by. You're not backpacking in. This thing's awesome. It's like bringing your kitchen stove with you. It's that good. Okay, so it's good for that. The next one is for, you know, people that have electric stoves, even when there's power, because sometimes you want to cook something, you want to get your pan really hot, whatever. Um, electric stoves suck to cook on. And having this is like the, the the shortcut to having gas, right? So it's really a better thing to use outside than inside, but it can be used inside, right? Especially with a small bottle adapter, using a little small disposables. But you, know, you set this up on your porch, and you you cook your dinner or whatever out there. When you, you want to fire that walk up and get it really hot. So it's great for people that just don't have gas. And then for everybody, you know, why not have breakfast on those beautiful fall days that are coming when it's like 60 degrees out and the birds are singing and it's Saturday, You take this two-burner stove, you throw it up on a tabletop, you cook outside on the deck next to the pool or out in the porch, and just enjoy your family. Get the hell out of the house. It's under a hundred bucks. It cooks like my gas range in my kitchen, which cost me $900. I can't tell the difference when I'm cooking with it. It's one of the best finds I've ever come up with, and I have a link to it and the small bottle adapter available through tspaz.com today. But remember, if you have no interest in that, or you already have one because I've talked about it before, still, the next time you're going to buy something on Amazon, you want to support the show, we give you a great show every day, just go to tspaz.com first. With that, I got our um, closing song for you today, straight out of the year. 1966, and I figured since we had an intelligence uh, person from the military on with us today that this would be a perfect song. As soon as you hear the music, most of you, older people anyway, will know what it is. Anyway, the song's called Secret Agent Man, and the artist, Johnny Rivers. With that, 
Hope you enjoyed today's show. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, even if they don't. There's a man who leads a life of danger To everyone he meets, he stays a stranger With every move he makes, another chance he takes Odds are he won't live to see tomorrow That you find A pretty face can hide An evil mind Oh, be careful what you say Or you'll give yourself away Odds are you won't live to see tomorrow Persuasive lips The odds are you won't live To see tomorrow